Thanks for taking the time to listen to this NHS Employers podcast. For all the latest NHS HR workforce information, visit www.nhsemployers.org. Hello, my name is Andrew Davidson and I'm a partner at Capsticks. Together with NHS Employers, we've recently run workshops in London, Leeds and Birmingham to talk to you about pay progression and appraisals. We appreciate that it's not always possible to get along to one of these sessions, and this is why we bring you this podcast. I'm going to talk to you about the legal challenges for employers in implementing the recent changes in Agenda for Change. In my session, I'm going to cover two things, what the changes are and what legal challenges you might face as employers in implementing them. The changes I'm going to discuss were agreed between NHS employers and the unions earlier this year and came into effect from the 31st of March. If you look at the most up-to-date copy of the AFC handbook, you'll find that the revised sections are easy to identify because they have an A after the section number. On the NHS employers website, you'll also find the National Equality Impact Assessment. Please note though, as I will repeat later in this podcast, that you should also carry out a local equality impact assessment for your organisation. The biggest element of change under the new regime is with regard to pay progression. Under the new terms, pay progression is now conditional upon individual employees demonstrating that they meet locally agreed performance requirements in line with Annex W of the AFC handbook. Rather than allowing pay progression to happen as a matter of course, there is now a new focus on the employee being required to positively show that they make the grade. And this is quite a significant change. If you think about your organisation uh, and whether that happens, the answer is probably not at the present. Another significant change is that for employees in bands 8C, 8D and 9, the last two points of their pay bands will be annually earned and they will only keep them if the appropriate level of performance has been reached in any given year. Employers can deduct a pay point in any year in which the standards are not reached. The current arrangements for preceptorships in which there are two increments for band 5 recruits in their first year has also been removed and that will be a change uh, for quite a few organisations. Also, it will be possible for employers within the NHS to, play, to put in place non-AFC pay arrangements for employees in bands 8C and above. For those who pursue this flexibility, it will, in principle, give employers the opportunity to put in place pay arrangements that look very different from the current arrangements under AFC. In the short to medium term, I would anticipate that employers are more likely to use this new flexibility to make amendments to AFC for those bans, rather than to abandon AFC in its entirety. But you should ask yourself, should we use this flexibility? And if so, how would we go about changing our approach to pay awards? There are two other changes to be aware of, but which I won't discuss further in this uh, podcast. First of all, there is new guidance on the principles for workforce reprofiling, and that's contained in Annex X. Secondly, sick pay will be paid at basic salary level, uh, but not for employees on spine points 1 to 8, or for employees whose absence is due to work-related injury or disease. So moving now back to pay progression and the changes that have been implemented. In terms of timescales, it's envisaged that employers will set and agree objectives this year, 2013, for consideration for pay progression from April 2014 onwards. That gives employees a reasonable opportunity in which to reach uh, their set objectives and also for employers to measure performance. 
But how do you set those objectives and how do you measure performance for these purposes? Ultimately, that's a question that will need to be answered at a local level. But Annex W sets out the principles that employers in the NHS should follow in measuring performance. I'd recommend that anyone involved in working on a local approach reads Annex W in some detail. I won't go through all of the principles, but I'll highlight some elements of interest. Firstly, team performance can be a factor. Overall performance of the organisation, however, cannot. Secondly, there's a need to conduct a local equality assessment before putting the new system in place. And this is to ensure that you as an employer within the NHS are aware of and can justify any potential inequalities. Thirdly, there should be training for managers on both appraisals generally and specifically on their equality obligations. My colleague Kelvin Cheetle looks at how to practically implement an effective appraisal and performance management system in a separate podcast. So that's the new regime in overview, and I'll now talk briefly about the potential legal risks arising from implementing these changes. First of all, there's the risk of discrimination claims. If managers are going to make decisions about employees' performance, particularly where there's a level of financial reward involved, which there is in the new arrangements, employees may think that they've been treated unfairly. And if they don't accept the reasoning of the manager, they may draw the inference that this is because of a protected characteristic they have, such as race or religious belief. It may be difficult for an organisation to defend these sorts of claims if there appears to be inconsistency of treatment. It's vitally important, therefore, to have in place very clear guidance on how to implement the new system, find ways of ensuring a degree of consistency across the organisation, and communicate well to employees so that they understand why decisions have been taken about their individual performance. Equally, there's a risk, particularly in the current environment, of employees alleging that they haven't received their increments because they blew the whistle on their manager or the organisation. The same points apply. Employers should ensure they can justify their decision-making to show that it had nothing to do with any protected disclosure made by the employee. Thirdly, employees may bring unlawful deductions from wages claims or breach of contract claims if they think that they're entitled to their increments and have been treated unfairly, or where they've had their increments removed for failing to perform at the required standard. Finally, it's possible for employees to resign and claim constructive dismissal in response to a decision either not to pay their increments or to remove a pay point. If the sums involved were sufficiently uh, significant and the employee reasonably felt that the actions of their employer had gone to the heart of the employment relationship, there may be a risk of such a claim succeeding, although it will be uncommon. The common themes from these risks are A, to be as consistent as you can be in your decision-making, B, to keep a note of your decision-making so that you can justify it later, and C, to properly communicate the reasons for your decision-making to the employees concerned. So in conclusion, there are some significant changes uh, in the new regime. There's more flexibility for employers, and with more flexibility comes potentially more legal risk. And so the key issue for you as NHS employers is to ensure that you're aware of those risks and that you manage them accordingly. This podcast is available on the NHS Employers website. You'll also find a link through to the Capsticks website where you can get further information and bulletins. Keep an eye out for more podcasts in the future.